A young boy waits for a priest to bestow a sparkling crown on his head as he stands in a temple lighted by burning incense. The ritual is part of the coronation ceremony that will make him the nine-year-old pharaoh of ancient Egypt. His subjects will address him by the title of King Tutankhamun. He is most likely just known to you as King Tut. But his reign will be short, for he only sits on the throne until he is 18. A mystery is woven in the past, buried with this child king. A mystery that may carry with it an evil curse to any who dare to unearth the king. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the curse of Tutankhamun's tomb. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Sadie looked down at her desk and sighed. It had been a long week, and her Friday night wouldn't be as restful as she had hoped. Her birthday was two days ago, though her parents had insisted on having a party for her. It wasn't that she was ungrateful for the sentiment, or that she didn't want to see them. The problem came when she found out that they had invited her entire family. Sadie's brother's wife would be there, and she could be pretty stuck up. Not to mention aunts, uncles, and cousins she hadn't seen in years. She argued that her parents could just go have dinner with her like they had done the last few birthdays. But every excuse was shot down. Her dad's preoccupation with worry for her since she had moved out a few years before ceased to be cute and had begun to be a thorn in her side. The constant questions about why she had no boyfriends and never went out felt more like an attack than it did concern. The truth was Sadie was a self-confessed, happy introvert, and her family just needed to come to terms with that. She was totally okay with working 70 hours a week and going home to her books and television series by herself. There were no demands of being social or having to pretend to be interesting in the world she had created for herself that way. Though for tonight, she would have to put on her happy face and go see her family. There was no way around it. So much for her excitement of her pajamas and alone time. She was running late, so when she tried to pull into the driveway, there was nowhere to park, adding frustration to disappointment. First, because there were more people than she expected, and second, because now the guest of honor would have to park and walk a block up the road. It seemed an awfully big turnout for someone's 26th birthday. 
As she walked up the sidewalk, her phone started exploding with texts from her mother, asking her where she was. In her mind, she thought about replying back to her mother with, I'm in the seventh circle of hell, though decided not to answer and just surprise them with her presence. She walked in the front door and all conversation stopped with an explosion of happy birthdays and hugs. Then there was the customary chit-chat of, how have you been? And God, it's been so long. That finally carried over into Sadie sitting in the kitchen with her parents as they prepared snacks for the guests. Her brother and sister-in-law made a brief entrance and did the usual half-hearted attempt of trying to act like they were actually interested in Sadie's life. This lasted about five minutes, and then it was on to how great their lives were and all the extravagant things they were doing. In all the talking, someone's face stood out of the crowd. Sadie knew that she had met this gentleman. She just couldn't remember when. She finally asked her mother who the man was. Come to find out, his name was Philip. He had been an old friend of her dad's. Apparently, he had been around a lot when Sadie was young, and she had even been quite close to him. The story started to fly about how Philip traveled the world all the time. Sadie, being three and four, would ask about the places he had been and all the things he had seen. She was excited about the world and everything in it back then. Slowly, it all came back to her and she could even slightly remember bits of conversation with the man. It stung a little when her brother chimed in and said, She certainly outgrew that. The quieted laughs and smirks that followed his comment was met with Sadie's obvious irritation. A few moments and the awkward feeling in the room won. Her mother, who was ever the peacekeeper, asked if everyone was ready for cake. Soon everyone was standing around Sadie, waiting on her to blow out her candles. She could have made lots of different wishes based on the things she wanted or needed to add to her life, though she instead chose to skip it. After all, wishes were for children, and she was ready to leave. After cake, she opened the gifts that were brought. These made her feel kind of bad that these people had gotten her gifts, and she had been such a brat. Kind of bad. Not really, though. She got some perfume and a new sweater and some other odds and ends that would be more of an effort dragging a block down the street to her car than she really wanted to put into it. She finally got to a small but strange-looking box. It had very foreign-looking carvings on it. She opened it, and there was a small gold bracelet inside. As she picked it up, Sadie could tell by its weight that it was real gold. Everyone was wowed by it. It was then that Philip spoke up. It was he who had bought the gift. He told her that he had gotten it in Egypt many years before. He explained that he wasn't sure of its history, but he had been told that Howard Carter had actually been wearing it when Tutankhamun's tomb was opened. He then explained how he had never actually taken it out of the box, but had put it up and saved it until he knew exactly who to give it to. And after a conversation with her dad, he knew that she was the one. Not knowing what to say at receiving such a strange gift, Sadie answered back with, Well, that's really cool. Trying to sound amazed with her tone, 
She then said that she couldn't possibly accept such an expensive gift. Philip told her that it really wasn't that big of a deal. He said he had bought it with some other things a long time ago and had never actually even touched it. He had remembered her being a little girl and being so excited about travel and adventure. He thought it would make a great gift for her. Philip smiled and told her, In our busy lives, sometimes we just need something to bring the child out from time to time. He hoped that this trinket would do that for her. Soon after that, Sadie had gotten to her favorite part of her birthday party. She was packing up to leave. She told everyone bye, what felt like a thousand times, and was finally on her way to her car. Once there, she hurled the armful of presents into her trunk and was on her way home. Sitting in the parking lot of her apartment, it crossed her mind to just leave the gifts in her trunk until the next morning. But she knew herself well enough to know that if she left them now, she would forget them until she needed her trunk for groceries or something else. To spare herself that aggravation, she went ahead and grabbed everything and headed upstairs. She tossed everything on her couch and went for a shower. Once she was clean and in her pajamas, she poured herself some wine and plopped down in her recliner. As she was scrolling, looking for the most recent show she had been binging on, something caught her attention out of the corner of her eye. There on the pile of gifts was the small brown box the old man had given her. She now became interested in the bracelet that was inside. She opened it up and began to examine the artifact more closely than she had earlier. It didn't seem like anything special other than the gold it was made of. Holding it and admiring it, she couldn't help but wonder was the story true, if it had actually been worn in the tomb of the child Pharaoh when it was opened. Sadie knew she would never know for sure, but the thought of it was certainly cool. So, in a sense, the gift had served its intended purpose. She had, in fact, enjoyed such ideas and stories. She had only forgotten that over the years. Soon she was tired and curling up in bed. Sadie drifted off into a half-sleep when she heard someone talking. She abruptly jolted awake and began trying to figure out where the sound was coming from. She quickly realized it was her television. It was on. She walked into her living room and turned it off. This small thing would not be so unsettling if she hadn't very specifically remembered turning it off. Though she was tired and buzzing from the wine and decided not to read too much into it. Later that night, Sadie awoke once again in a cold sweat. She had been having a nightmare, but for some reason she couldn't recall what it was about. It was one of those nightmares that when you wake up, you're just glad it wasn't real. The uneasy feeling was still in her bones, though. As she sat up, she heard a strange thumping coming from her living room. It sounded almost like someone was stumbling around, as if they were drunk or maybe injured. Assuming it was the neighbor, she got up to inspect. She swung her bedroom door open quickly, hoping to rip off the proverbial band-aid of fear and dread. As she knew it was nothing but for some reason, she was still afraid. As she expected, there was nothing there. She did catch a faint smell that she had not encountered earlier. 
It was almost like the smell of rot, of something old and decayed. But this description seemed ridiculous. Soon she gathered her courage and went back to sleep. Slipping into another nightmare, she would not remember. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. On February 16, 1923, in Thebes, Egypt, English archaeologist Howard Carter enters the sealed burial chamber of the ancient Egyptian ruler, King Tutankhamun. Ancient Egyptians carefully preserved their pharaoh's bodies after death by burying them in ornate tombs filled with priceless jewels so that their rulers could travel with style in the afterlife. This was done because they regarded their pharaohs as gods. Archaeologists from all over the world came to Egypt in the 19th century when they discovered several of these tombs. Many had long before been robbed and had their valuables taken from them. Carter was confident that there was at least one undiscovered tomb when he first arrived in Egypt in 1891. This tomb belonged to the little-known Tutankhamun, often known as King Tut, who lived approximately 1400 BC and passed away while still a teenager. Carter looked for five years without finding anything with the help of a wealthy British man named Lord Carnivon. Lord Carnivon planned to stop the search in early 1922, but Carter persuaded him to continue for another year. The wait paid off in November 1922, when Carter's crew discovered steps buried in the rubble close to the entrance of another tomb. The stairs led to a historically significant gateway with the name Tutankhamun. The internal chambers of the tomb were virtually intact with its contents unaltered after more than 3,000 years, when Carter and Lord Carnivon entered it on November 26th. The men started looking around the tomb's four rooms, and on February 16, 1923, Carter unlocked the final chamber's door while several high-ranking officials watched on. A sarcophagus with three interlocking coffins was within. The mummified body of King Tut was kept in the final casket, which was constructed of solid gold. Gold shrines, jewelry, statues, a chariot, weapons, and clothing were among the treasures recovered in the tomb, but the most priceless item was the perfectly preserved mummy because it was the first one ever found. Carter describes what he saw inside the tomb. As my eyes grew accustomed to the light, 
Details of the room would then emerge slowly from the mist. Strange animals, statues, and gold. Everywhere the glint of gold. For the moment, an eternity it must have seemed to the others standing by. I was struck dumb with amazement. And when Lord Carnivon, unable to stand the suspense any longer, inquired anxiously, Can you see anything? It was all I could do to get the words out. Yes, wonderful things. Despite claims that anybody who damaged the tomb would be cursed, its goods were painstakingly listed, taken out, and put on display as part of the renowned traveling exhibition known as the Treasures of Tutankhamun. The Egyptian Museum in Cairo serves as the exhibition's permanent location. After years of searching, the pair had found the final resting place of the famous child king, uncovering the most well-preserved tomb in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. When King Tut's tomb itself was unearthed on November 26, 1922, after more than 3,000 years of uninterrupted repose, some believed the Pharaoh unleashed a powerful curse of death and destruction upon all who dared to disturb his eternal slumber. The mythical Curse of the Pharaohs expanded to epic proportions over time, much like any urban legend or media fad. Here are nine individuals who could convince you to believe such things, including one who 100 years ago should have been the immediate target of Tut's fury. The first victim of the supposed curse was the individual who provided the funding for the excavation of King Tut's tomb. While shaving, Lord Carnivon unintentionally tore open a mosquito bite. He later passed away from blood poisoning. This happened a few months after the tomb was discovered and only six weeks following press reports about the alleged mummy's curse, which was said to affect everyone connected to the mummy's disturbance. According to the legend, when Lord Carnivon passed away, all of the lights in his home, or in other instances, all of Cairo unexpectedly went out. The tomb's discoverer, archaeologist Howard Carter, sent his buddy Bruce Ingham a paperweight as a gift. Ingham did not die from the mummy's curse, though his house burned to the ground not long after receiving the gift. The paperweight, appropriately or perhaps inappropriately, consisted of a mummified hand wearing a bracelet that was supposedly inscribed with the phrase, Cursed be he who moves my body. When he attempted to rebuild, a flood struck. Rich American investor and railroad tycoon George J. Gold visited Tutankhamun's tomb in 1923, but soon after he became ill. A few months later, he passed away from pneumonia after never quite recovering. By virtue of his relationship to the amateur Egyptologist, King Tut's curse is claimed to have affected Lord Carnivon's half-brother. Aubrey Herbert developed absolute blindness later in life after being born with a degenerative eye disease. As a result of a doctor's suggestion that his decayed, diseased teeth were obstructing his vision, Herbert had to have every tooth from his head removed in an effort to regain his vision. It was a failure. However, only five months after the purported death of his cursed brother, he did pass away from sepsis as a result of the dental procedure. 
A British archaeologist named Hugh Evelyn White may have assisted with the site's excavation after visiting King Tut's tomb. Evelyn White committed himself in 1924 after seeing the death of roughly two dozen of his fellow diggers, but not before purportedly writing in his own blood. I have succumbed to a curse which causes me to disappear. Many of the people who were present when King Tut's tomb was revealed, including Lord Carnivon, were acquainted with American Egyptologist Aaron Ember. Ember passed away in 1926, barely more than an hour after he and his wife had a dinner party when their Baltimore home caught fire. He could have left without incident, but his wife pushed him to finish the paper he was working on while she went to retrieve their son. Sadly, they all perished in the disaster, along with the family's maid. What is the title of Ember's book he was working on? The Book of the Dead in Egypt. The second person after Carter to enter the tomb was Bethel, who served as Lord Carnivon's secretary. He passed away in 1929 in mysterious circumstances. While one contemporary historian believes that prominent occultist Alastair Crowley was responsible for his demise. At an exclusive London gentleman's club, Bethel's body was discovered suffocated in his room. The Nottingham Evening Post speculated shortly after that the suggestion that Han Richard Bethel had come under the curse was raised later that year. When there was a series of mysterious fires at his home, where some of the priceless finds from Tutankhamun's tomb were stored, according to Nottingham's Evening Post. But no proof of a link between the items and Bethel's demise was found. Radiologist Sir Archibald Douglas Reed simply x-rayed Tut before the mummy was transferred to museum authorities, proving that you didn't have to be one of the diggers or expedition backers to fall victim to Tutankhamun's curse. The following day he fell ill, and three days later, he passed away. Howard Carter never experienced a strange, unexplainable disease, and no fires ever destroyed his home. He passed away at the age of 64 from lymphoma. His gravestone even contains the following benediction. May your spirit live. May you spend millions of years resting with your face to the north breeze, your eyes beholding delight. You who adore Thebes. He may have been exempt from the Pharaoh's curse. Maybe that's because he felt the way he did. The Arab Egyptians of the first century AD were the ones who initially proposed that a mummy may come to life and attack anyone who broke into a Pharaoh's tomb, claims Christine El Mahdi, an English Egyptologist and author. This misconception persisted in part because the ancient Egyptian language and culture had been suppressed for so long that no one was left to clarify it. Following the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb, the idea of a curse was revived when Carnivon passed away, but without the reanimation of the mummy. King Tutankhamun was not a very significant figure to ancient Egypt in terms of rulers. At age nine, the youthful pharaoh ascended to the throne and succumbed to illness only a decade later. The gold mask of King Tut's face is well known all over the world, despite the fact that his dominion over ancient Egypt was just a brief one. Tut's fame is more related to what he left behind than to the life he led. 
A Pharaoh's tomb had never before in current times been discovered in such immaculate condition, and the find caused a sensation. Prior to this, Tutankhamun wasn't well known. But via media like movies, music, and publication, he swiftly rose to fame. The mummy, in comparison to other well-known monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein, didn't originate in literature. Rather, the actual finding of Tutankhamun's tomb served as the inspiration for the 1932 horror film from Universal Pictures. Technically, Tutankhamun is part of the DC Universe, or at least a Batman villain, who thinks he is a child king's reincarnation. The television series starring Adam West introduced King Tut in 1966. The protagonist is likely the most popular villain that debuted with the 1960s program, rather than the comics, despite never achieving the same level of fame as Catwoman or the Joker. Over 3,000 years after his passing, Tutankhamun still has some influence. The distinctive style of ancient Egypt entered Western fashion when his tomb was found. Coal eyeliner, bobbed hairstyles, and decorative jewelry with Egyptian patterns were some of the ways American women in the 1920s embraced the timeless look. The craze peaked in the flapper era, but Tut's time has continued to have an impact on the fashion world today. Even Michael Jackson, The Bangles, and Katy Perry made iconic Egyptian-themed music videos. The centennial of Howard Carter's discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in the Valley of the Kings, which rekindled interest in ancient Egypt and the wonders of Luxor, has been commemorated this year. Over 150 artifacts discovered in the Pharaoh's tomb started a globe tour as part of the celebrations, starting in London for six months, proceeding to Sydney, and planned to end at the new Grand Egyptian Museum in Cairo which should be open early 2023. It's unclear whether we will ever fully understand the life of Tutankhamun, the boy king, but his memory continues to captivate the world centuries after his short reign. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Sadie awoke the next morning feeling less than peachy. Her sleep was broken on and off all night the night before. She mostly blamed this on the party. She had not wanted to break her routine. In spite of this, she made herself get up and prepare to go to the gym. Once she had drank a bottle of water and a cup of coffee, she got dressed and made her way to the car. 
The drive to the gym felt like sandpaper grinding her already bad mood. Traffic seemed worse than usual, and the other drivers seemed like they were trying to kill her. She exited her car, and even then, the awfulness of the day persisted, as she was almost struck by a man on a bicycle as he sped by. After she yelled a few hateful words at him, she walked into the gym. Sadie turned on the treadmill and was soon in a dead run, trying to run off the stress of the last 24 hours. About 10 minutes in, she began to feel sick. Her chest began to feel congested, and she started to cough uncontrollably. She stopped running only for a moment, and her feet were whisked out from under her. She fell, hitting her head on the belt of the treadmill, causing it to scuff her face. One of the young men that worked there quickly grabbed her up, asking repeatedly if she was okay. She soon got her senses back, and after mentally checking herself, she told him she would be fine. He told her she really shouldn't be trying to work out while she was sick. He made the suggestion that she get her cough checked out. This only added to her agitation, so she shoved his hands back and got up to leave. As she was walking out, she assured him that she wasn't sick and wouldn't be stupid enough to come there if she was. As she was saying that, she got choked again. The young man said, So you're just having bad luck today? In an attempt to make her feel better. Sadie wasn't having it though. She flipped him off as she walked out the door. Something he had said stuck in her mind though. Bad luck? Why did that phrase bother her so much? Why had it stuck in the forefront of her mind as soon as he said it? She got back home, and the cough had gotten almost unbearable. Not to mention she now had body aches and was freezing like she had a fever. She shoved the gifts that were still laying on her couch onto the floor and laid down, cursing going to the party in her mind because she assumed someone there had made her ill. That's when she saw the box that had the bracelet in it. Something then occurred to her. Something from when she was in middle school. Sadie used to love to go to the library and study anything about the world or history. At one point, she had read a book about Egyptian archaeology. It had talked about the discovery of King Tut. It had also briefly mentioned the alleged curse that had been put on anyone that disturbed his tomb. She then realized why the phrase bad luck had stuck with her. If the bracelet had been on someone who entered the tomb, it could be cursed in a sense. For a few moments, an unreasonable fear swept over her. She finally remembered her dreams from the night before. She was in the dark, laying inside what felt like a casket. Just as she had realized this and become terrified in her dream, something had grabbed her and began twisting and breaking her bones. That's when she had woke up to the strange noises and smells. The thumping around, could that have been the spirit of the dead Pharaoh? As he was believed to have a club foot. And she remembered reading that he had a garland of flowers placed around his neck. That could have explained the rotting smell. Sadie went from fear to feeling ridiculous. She was actually laying there, 
afraid of a 3,000-year-old dead kid, blaming a curse on her misfortunes. As the day wore on, she felt worse and worse. She finally decided going to the doctor would probably be a good idea. She didn't want to have to miss work on Monday, as she hated getting behind, as well as she missed the money on her check. As inconvenient as it was, she would have to go. She assumed it might do her some good to get out of there for a while anyway, as she couldn't shake the creepy feeling from earlier, even if she thought it was stupid. Once she was at the walk-in clinic, Sadie almost immediately regretted going. The place was full, and it looked like she would be there all evening. She checked in and picked a chair and thought, this is where I will die. The cough seemed like it was worsening by the hour. Soon they sent her back ahead of everyone else. This was embarrassing to her, as she noticed this was done to get her away from the other patients. After a chest x-ray and some tests, she was told she had a mild case of pneumonia. Nothing some meds and rest wouldn't fix. She went home, elated that this wasn't some crazy curse. But first, she stopped by the pharmacy on her way and took the meds immediately. Oddly enough, as soon as she walked through the door of her apartment, her lifted spirits crashed. The cough intensified, and that feeling of dread sunk back into her. She felt so horrible, all she could do was lay down. She didn't even turn the TV on. Her fever rose so high she was shivering beneath her blankets, almost in and out of what felt like a coma. While sleeping, she had several more nightmares, the same as the night before. Something kept grabbing her, pulling her into the earth, and trying to smother her. While the smell of old dirt and rotten flowers filled her nose every time she would wake for a minute. Finally, at least she was sweating and burning up when she woke up. As she opened her eyes, she could tell the sun was up. It was early in the morning. But Sadie had lived through the night. She actually felt a little better. No curses or dead people were in her house. It almost seemed silly now. The high fever, she assumed, made her have the dreams and uneasy feelings. Thankful, now she could get on with her life. She got up to go to the bathroom and yawned as she stepped away from the couch. Her foot got hung up on the sweater that was still in the floor. She toppled forward and fell, hitting the temple of her head on the corner of the coffee table. On impact, she heard a loud crunch and felt a quick, sharp pain in her neck that was only relieved by the numbness that began to seep through her. She lay there, not being able to move, as she felt like something was trying to drag her into the ground. After a few minutes, she became very cold and felt herself slowly slip away. After Sadie's funeral, everyone met back at her parents' house. It wasn't like the week before when everyone was laughing at her birthday party. It was still and quiet. Several people were comforting her mother. Sadie's father was standing in the corner talking with Philip as he handed him something in a box. They hugged and parted ways. As Philip was walking to his car, he was confronted by Sadie's sister-in-law, 
She asked what he had in his hand. He opened his palm to show her. It was the box that contained the bracelet he had gifted to Sadie. The young lady smiled and asked if she might have it as something to remember Sadie by. The old man smiled and said, I'm almost sure she would want only you to have it. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Destination Terror and Tales from the Break Room. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the troll, a cantankerous creature from Norse mythology. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.